Hey, thank you guys so much for having me here today. My name's Rodney, and uh, I... I'm just incredibly thankful for the way. And like Seth said, um, it's, it's something different to be more than a picture, um, but that's also true for me. Um, it's been uh, an incredible, I've got to do this just a couple times this summer, but to be face to face with the people who have prayed for us, supported us, uh, and cared for us so well is a tremendous honor for me. And, f- and if you don't know, like you might not know it in the day to day, but I just want to I just want to emphasize uh, how meaningful your support has been. Um, The way has been very intentionally um, involved, just even beyond uh, giving, which is hugely important. Uh, You know, it was probably a couple months back I shared a really difficult situation and kind of a group message uh, with some pastors uh, who were, were supporting and invested in what we were doing. And I'll just, I'll just tell you, I'll just call it out, like, your, your pastor was the one who actually called me, you know, who actually called me to talk through that, to give some counsel. And so, like, you guys have been just incredibly um, influential and encouraging in what's taking place in Joplin. And so I just want to make sure that you know that, that uh, people are hearing the gospel, people are being cared for, a church is being established, and God has used you in an incredible way to do that work. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, there's a lot of good things happening in Joplin right now. One of the big things, something just you can be praying for, a little bit of an update, is we're in the midst of a building transition right now. We've been praying um, that God would provide a, a space that's a little bigger, and he did that in a way that is not how we intended. Uh, he's opened up the door. Uh, we were approached by a, a Baptist church in the area that's been around for a long, long time, uh, but has you know, probably you know, on the opposite end of the church life spectrum. Um, they've been, they've, they're needing some help maintaining their building, and uh, so they've invited us to partner with them. And so we're excited to, to get to meet uh, in a building that we could never afford uh, in, in and of ourselves, but we're also really excited about the opportunity to partner with another church and to just prayerfully see what God might do with that partnership in time. So uh, we'll be transitioning, moving um, as of September 1st, so you can be praying for that. Thank you guys so much uh, for all of your encouragement. I'll be honest, though, like I don't want to like be just like super all over the top rosy Um, in the midst of like a lot of good things. Like as you probably know and experience in the day to day life of being a church here, uh, whenever good things are happening, difficult things are often happening too. a lot of times behind the scenes Um, in the midst of God growing our church and and stretching people and doing all kinds of mighty works. uh, There's also been really hard things. Sin has come to the surface. We've had some church discipline issues that have arose this summer. Uh, we've had families with really sp- specific needs regarding things going on in their lives. We're dealing with transition and trying to figure that out. We've had a lot of families just really impacted by inflation you know, over the past several months. A lot of just blue-collar, hard-working families that are really struggling and have needed the church's help. And so in the midst of like a lot of good things, If I'm just totally being honest with you this morning, I am not coming to you as some refreshed, you know, guest preacher. Uh, I'm I'm probably coming up here with just a little bit of a limp this morning. This summer, uh, you know, maybe maybe you feel it too. Like something about just everything kind of slows down as you get to the end of spring. You come into summer, everybody's home, all the needs are high. And I'm just coming in here this morning, uh, this week, a little bit tired, walking a little bit with a limp. The good news, though, is that Christ assures us That when we walk with that little bit of a limp, when we acknowledge our weakness, we find strength. Because as I'm made smaller, Christ is made all the larger, and my awareness of who he is and my dependence on him becomes all the greater. Maybe you can relate this morning to feeling a little bit weary, 
Maybe you're walking with a little bit of a limp as well. In times of weakness, Jesus assures us that he offers us living water through the truth of the gospel. And that's what Psalm 136 is all about. I originally was not going to do Psalm 136. Uh, I had another Psalm, Psalm 39, which is also really good. But primarily, I transitioned because working with a worship leader from week to week, I know that worship leaders really love it and get encouraged when you switch the sermon text, um, just like a week before. They, they pretend they don't, but they like it. It's like a challenge. It's like a puzzle. They're weird. They, they like that kind of thing. So I did that as a gift to your worship leader, but I also switched it up. Uh, because Psalm 136 just really speaks to even what I've been feeling and what I've been needing here lately. Uh, Psalm 136 is a very special psalm. Uh, it's intended to lift the drooping head of weary Christians through reminding us of the truth. And not just reminding us of what is true, but Psalm 136 is designed in such a way to drill into our heads the truth of who God is. In each of the 26 verses, a phrase intended to summarize the hope we have in Jesus is repeated. And that phrase is, for his steadfast love endures forever. And this phrase... You might not know this, but this is a very special phrase amongst God's people. It's been significant throughout redemptive history, throughout church history, and it appears several times throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, we see it in 1 Chronicles 16.7 in David's Psalm of Praise, and then we see it written into the assignments of the priests um, in David's day, that same chapter in 1 Chronicles and verse 41. We see it as part of Israel's praise at the dedication of Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles 5.13. And it's sung and praised by the Levites in battle time as the Lord defeated the Ammonites in 2 Chronicles 20. But one of my favorite times that we see this phrase is in Jeremiah. God promised that this phrase would be part of Israel's praise once again during a season in which they doubted they would ever sing again as Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were taken captive in the Babylonian conquest. In Jeremiah 33, verses 10 and 11, it says, Thus says the Lord, And this place, of which you say it is a waste without man or beast, and the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever." For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. This phrase was intended to remind God's people then and to remind us today of God's faithfulness. The very gospel to which we hold. The truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to live a perfect life, to die a brutal death, so that for us who are his there is no longer condemnation, but everlasting joy in Christ. And on the days that we walk with a limp, which was certainly true in the midst of the Babylonian conquest, God reminds the people of who he is and what he is doing that they might endure. These people are weary, but here they remember the truth of God's love and they're reminded that his promise will be fulfilled because that's just who he is. These were and continue to be the rhythms of life this side of eternity. We grow weary, we remember, and we endure. 
And that's it. That's how this life goes. Any other promise that life will go any differently than that is not true and does not reflect Jesus himself. We grow weary, this side of eternity, as those who came before us do. We remember God's faithfulness and we endure resting assured of his promise. The greatest enemy of enthusiasm is time. And all of us face that. Like all who came before us, the gospel is the means by which our hope is restored day in and day out as we endure. This morning, I'm going to, in the midst of weariness, I'm going to like, I'm, I'm, I'm plugging in the, the sermon cheat code. If you will, I'm going to read all of Psalm, 130, um, all of Psalm 136. Um, and as I read Psalm 136 a chunk at a time, I want to invite you to picture a great multitude of the people of God gathered in the temple courts. And a priest calls out a reason to give God thanks. And God's people respond, his steadfast love endures forever. This song is intended to encourage God's people in the gospel. And perhaps it'll do that for us this morning. I want to start uh, by reading verses 1 through 3 and acknowledging that we worship a God who is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. This song rightly starts by acknowledging the object of our worship and His goodness and perfection. God is perfect in every sense of the word. He is without fault in any way in any of his decisions in any of his actions he is perfectly just perfectly loving and perfectly gracious his ways are both perfect and just which is a concept we can't even understand we tend to um, lean towards one side or the other we want to acknowledge that God is perfectly loving but we maybe we err in acknowledging that he's also perfectly just and then perfect grace in the midst of all of that this is a concept we can't even fully wrap our heads around it's as if if all you could see was the color green if everything in the world was just a different shade of green like how would I begin to explain to you what the color red is like you don't even have a framework for understanding that kind of perfection thus is the holiness of God this holiness lies beyond our reach. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It cannot be replicated, but has been given to us solely on the basis of Christ's perfection. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Notice when you look in your scripture, that is an uppercase to a lowercase, an uppercase to a lowercase. Many people, gods, objects will vie for our affections and demand our worship, but the song begins by acknowledging that none of them are worthy. And for this, we give God thanks that the perfect God, the, the, the perfect one, the holy one, has looked upon us lovingly and called us his own. British theologian Derek Kidner points out of this, these first three verses, give thanks is not the whole meaning of this word. It basically means confess or acknowledge, and therefore it calls us to thoughtful, grateful worship, spelling out what we know or have found of God's glory and his deeds. Confess or acknowledge calls us to thoughtful, grateful worship. And this is why the author begins with us acknowledging, reaching deep into the depths of God's holiness that it might guide our worship. 
because we worship as a people who acknowledge that God is holy and good. And his goodness and his holiness are reflected in the things that he has made. And thus, we worship the one who has created all things. And that's where the author, the author of the song transitions in verses 4 through 9. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. The one whose love endures forever is him who by understanding made the heavens. Here, essentially, him by who his word created all things. The author goes back to Genesis 1, and he points to God's creative work as a demonstration of his never-ending mercy to his people. He created with the word the heavens, the great lights, the sun, the rain that finally fell yesterday. And most importantly, he created with the word you. Life has value. Your life has value and brings glory to God because he alone speaks it into existence. In Joplin, we're coming to the end of the book of Hebrews right now. And last week, I, talked about, uh, I preached from Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, it tells us that God brought forth his people through Abraham and Sarah, that Sarah became a mother of nations because the Lord gave her power to conceive. In this sense, all of creation, every life, every living thing points to the glorious grace of God. As we sit here in this room today, surrounded by life, knowing the life on the other sides of the wall, all of life is intended to reflect the glorious one who created it. Creation is thus an act of divine love. And this is a truth that is worthy of our deepest considerations. In the midst of what he has created, we see glimpse of, glimpses of who he is, whether that's the tree in the backyard or the child that is playing at our feet. But Psalm 136, embracing those realities, seeing the glory of God in these small things, can be a difficult passage, can be a difficult concept in 2022, because it is focused. Notice this psalm is focused on repetition. It's meant to lead us to meditate over and over and over on this simple truth of God's love, yet our lives tend to be driven by the newest image or information that comes from the screen in our pockets, and sometimes even at the expense of the tree that we sit in front of or the child that's at our feet, we take this momentary distraction that's intended to keep us from the glory of God all around us and the things that he has made. Psalm 136 is unapologetically repetitive because we need repetition when it comes to seeing the glory of God. Because the Psalms, they slow us down. They pull our eyes away from these distractions of men. For us, that might be technology or the latest to-do list. For David, that was the people that were literally hunting for him. Whatever it is that's pulling our eyes away from the glory of God, the Psalms call us back, focus, it's away from the distraction of man, pointing us towards heavenly realities. Because in these, our hearts 
are prepared to endure. For in the midst of all circumstances, the gospel reminds us that we worship the one who rescued his people. And that's what verses 10 through 16 sing of. Hear those words with me. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and had made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here the singer recounts the great wonders of the work of creation described in Genesis 1, but then he quickly moves to the work of deliverance described in the book of Exodus. That God not only created the people, created all things, but then he takes those he loves and he rescued them. God's redemptive story is a testament to the truth that his love endures forever, that it will not fail at any time it never has. It didn't when he divided the Red Sea in two. God not only brought Israel out of Egypt, but he also delivered them from Pharaoh's attempt to recapture Israel. He delivered them, and then very quickly they found themselves in deliverance again, and God's grace remained. It endured. His grace is not limited to a one-time gift of salvation, but his steadfast love endures forever in all our difficulties, in all our valleys, even when the enemy attempts to recapture us down the road. God's use of history And Psalm 136 is important because as in countless other places in the scripture, God uses his work in the past to give hope, faith, and confidence both to his people for the moment and for the future. These very words that God inspired and put here for the people and all that they were enduring in that time, he put here in this place with us in mind that we might know them to be true today. God divided the Red Sea in two, and he overthrew Pharaoh and his army. In Hebrew, this term, overthrew, means literally shook off. The word is applicable to a tree shaking off its leaves in the fall. The same word is used in Exodus 14, 27, and the Lord overthrew, or the Lord shook off the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Our God who rescues He shook off Pharaoh's army, and he's the same God who shook off our sin when he walked out of the empty tomb. You see, much like the people of God in that day found themselves in an impossible situation, they faced a sea, there was no way they could cross, the enemy was on their heels, so you and I find ourselves up against the obstacle of the sea of our sin against a perfectly holy God. And here's the deal. Like, you might be a really good swimmer. I'm not so much. You and me meet up tomorrow on the coast of California, and we decide we're going to have a swim race to Hawaii. Like, maybe you're pretty good. Like, maybe you make it 15 miles out there. And maybe I'm, like, tapping out after a mile. Where we find ourselves is both equally dead and in need of rescue and an eternity away from the place that we are trying to reach. And this is the God who has shook off 
our sin, who has shook off the sea of the ocean of sin that lies between us and the Father and has made a way for us through his strong arm, Jesus Christ, reaching down into that ocean of sin and rescuing us. He has shook off all that keeps us from God. He has rescued us fully and completely in Jesus Christ. And thus no circumstance, no enemy can stand against, uh, can stand against us. For we worship the one whose enemies will not stand. In verses 17 through 22 of our song this morning. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sahon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Our God struck down great kings. Those who thought they were mighty apart from God were struck down by our Lord. The Lord who smote Pharaoh at the beginning of the wilderness march, he took care of Sahon and Og at the close of it. Like nobody who stood in his way could stand. No enemy formed against us then shall prosper because we are his. No circumstance, no object, no enemy who comes against will prevail because we have a promise in Jesus Christ. We have a promise that has come from the Lord who killed mighty kings. And Charles Spurgeon on this psalm wrote this of those kings. What good was their fame to them? As they opposed God, they became infamous rather than famous. Their deaths made the Lord's fame to increase among the nations, while their fame ended in disgraceful defeat. These mighty men who stood against the Lord, ultimately, even the works they did against the Lord, all they did was glorify the Lord in his absolute shaking off of them. The world might oppose God. And as a result, we certainly live in the land of death. But yet we remain an embassy of the kingdom of heaven because through him we can rest in the midst of the chaos of this life knowing that no enemy, no policy, no ruler, no person, no thing, no philosophy, no latest fad, no culture war, nothing will stand against the Lord. That in the end, all things will glorify him. We read this repetitive declaration this morning and we rest in his steadfast love which endures forever. Read with me this morning these final four verses. It is he, the God, the, the king smasher, the enemy defeater. It is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever. And he rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. In directing us to do this, the psalmist 
not only had in mind our appropriate gratitude, but he also wants to remind us that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of heaven is our God. These events that we've sung about, that we've heard sung this morning in the Psalms, these aren't stories. The psalmist is writing of historical accounts, and he is moved to worship by God's history of unrelenting faithfulness. He is the God who really exists and really reigns and is a source of real comfort and joy and hope in the midst of all of the weariness and trials of this life. F.B. Meyer was a pastor of a Christian church in London in 1892. And he once wrote, And do you suppose that such mercy is going to fail you? It endureth forever. You fret and chafe like a restless little child, but you cannot fall out of the arms of God's mercy. This is the point of Psalm 136. You cannot fall out of the strong arms of our God. His mercy endures forever. This morning, the psalmist has given us 26 reasons to respond to God with this statement today. The never-ending mercy of God, His loving kindness, His grace, His loyal love, it will never stop finding a way to bless and help the people whom He loves. God is relentless in His loving pursuit of His people. Psalm 136 teaches us that nothing will end his mercy and that ultimately that mercy should change us. The past, the present, the future, they won't end his mercy. The storms of this life, they will not end God's mercy. And that death itself will not end his mercy. And we know that to be true in Jesus Christ. Nothing will end his mercy. His mercy then should change us. God's never-ending mercy should make us more merciful to others. If God has been so merciful to us, then what circumstances can we find to be merciful in the midst of? Certainly the annoying person I'm in community with or the person who said something to me that I'm offended by or the person who doesn't do this just the way that I like or the person who lives opposed to God across the street from me. And there is no end to the mercy I can show if the mercy that has been given to me in Jesus Christ is transforming me. Now, the mercy involves truth. And truth is, is part of mercy. But I can be merciful to others in the midst of all circumstances. God's never-ending mercy should make us hopeful for others, that we recognize that there is no person that God cannot change. There's no brokenness that God cannot heal. There's no sinner that God cannot draw to himself. And so I can be merciful in the midst of being hopeful. And God's never-ending mercy should make me incredibly hopeful for myself. That when I read Psalm 136, kind of that overview of, of Scripture and God's redemptive story, I'm reminded of the means to which God went to rescue me. He is not going to let me go. He is not going to let me falter. I have all that I need through him, and he will never, 
ever cease to pursue me, even in the midst of the storms of the day and my weak moments. Eugene Peterson, one time, or at his funeral, one of his sons repeated that Eugene Peterson whispered the same message to him to his son's ear before bedtime every night all of his life, and it summarized his message. He said, God loves you, he is coming for you, and he is relentless. This is the soap of which we read and which we see here in Psalm 136. And it's the hope that has led the church to endure through all kinds of circumstances throughout history. I want to close this morning by sharing with you just, just that, just one of those stories. Athanasius, the apostle, the apostolic. Athanasius, the apostolic. I wish I had a title like that, like Rodney the apostolic or Rodney. Like that's, that's pretty cool, like thing to put on your business card. But he was the 20th bishop of Alexandria. He served from June 328 until May 373 when the, the Roman emperors ordered his removal. Athanasius was a Christian theologian. He was a church father, and he was a chief defender of Trinitarianism amongst the Egyptians in the 4th century. One night in 358 AD, Athanasius, he held an all-night service at his church in Alexandria, Egypt. He had been leading the fight for the eternal sonship and the deity of Jesus Christ, knowing that, the, that orthodox theology was at great risk in the region. Because of this, because of the truth that he held to, he had many enemies, more for political reasons than theological ones, but they were very much intertwined. And these enemies, they moved the power of the Roman government against him. And on that night in February of 358, the church is gathered to, to pray and to seek renewal. And that, the church that night was surrounded by soldiers with drawn swords. People were frightened. They were terrified. They were facing the most difficult circumstance. Many of them were going to lose their lives that night, and they knew this to be true. And with calm presence of mind, Athanasius announced to the church, hearing the swords, hearing the clamoring all around the building, that they would be singing Psalm 136. And the vast congregation responded boldly all 26 times, his love endures forever. And when the soldiers burst through the doors that night, the witnesses recount that they were staggered by the singing. And although many people in Alexandria lost their lives that night, the people of Athanasius' congregation who lived never forgot that although man is evil, God is good, and they experienced joy and hope from the kingdom in the midst of this world's most terrible circumstance. And they stayed the course. They finished their race. They faced fear with hope, and they brought glory to God even in their final moments for some. They had joy in the midst of fear because their joy was rooted in a steadfast love that endures forever. My prayer today is that that would be where our hope is rooted, no matter where we come into this building from today, no matter what circumstances we're enduring, no matter what's going on in your heart that maybe nobody else knows. The Lord is faithful, and he is pursuing you, he is for you, and he is relentless. 
would you join me this morning in praying um, that we might have a hope that reflects the singer of Psalm 136.